Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, hear me, blessed Savior, when I call. Hear me, and from your dwelling place, pour down the riches of your grace. Jesus, my Lord, I do adore. Oh, help me love you more and more. Jesus, my Lord, I do adore. Oh, help me love you more and more. Jesus, too late for you I sought. How can I love you as I ought? And how to praise your matchless name, the glorious beauty of your name. Jesus, my Lord, I do adore. Oh, help me love you more and more. Jesus, my Lord, I do adore. Help me love you more and more. Jesus, what did you find in me that you have dealt so lovingly? How great the joy that you have brought, so far exceeding hope. to you shall be my song to you my heart and soul belong all that I have is yours alone and you blessed Savior are my own Jesus my Lord I do adore oh help me love you Jesus, my Lord, I do adore. Oh, help me love you more and Second Timothy chapter two, and uh, we have been looking at Second uh, Timothy, and and we have uh, come through and we have landed on verse six of chapter two. Just prior to this, we were were uh, seeing what the apostle Paul was saying to this young man who was a a stalwart young Christian. He loved the Lord. He had served with the apostle Paul. Paul knew his heart. He knew his strengths. He knew his weaknesses, and he was writing this to encourage him and also to bring him into that focus of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's truth and the written word of God as eternal truth, only truth that there is. 
Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. All right, we dealt with that. We recognize the fact that he has put within us the very truth of God so that we may effectively in our actions and in our words, in our life, teach others the very truth that is portrayed here in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive, that's a word for athletics, a competitor, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. In other words, he go by the prescribed way. He stays the course as has been given. And then verse 6, the husbandman, that's the, the loyal farmer, the hardworking farmer, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, or that gospel that is in me because of Christ. We've come through a season of, of the year when our thoughts have been turned especially to the, the gospel, God's purpose of redemption. And we ought to be very sensitive to the fact that Jesus died for us. He took our place on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. He paid my penalty, your penalty, that we may be dressed out in his righteousness as he took our filth, our sin, our separation from God willingly. And we have life. Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein, verse 9, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. He was talking about his situation. He was in prison. He was in chains. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation of which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. These are motivations. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. That's a motivation. Verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And then look at verse 15, and we're going to end with that. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what the whole section has been about our stance in our world for truth. How important it is for us as believers in this day. And I would say 
especially in this day, when on every hand the truth of God is challenged. And in our culture today, we're seeing as never before the rejection of the eternal word of God, the, the rejection of the Savior of the world. That alone should motivate us to be in the word of God, studying the word of God, allowing the word of God to get into the eye gate, into the brain, down into the heart, into the, to the very mindset. That, that, is trans, uh, that, that uh, becomes part of our actions and part of our responses in a world. And that often causes suffering, folks. I believe down through the ages, wherever the gospel has been presented, it has, been, it is, it has come upon sin just like that. And when, when, when the gospel, the good news of God himself in Jesus Christ hits sinful mankind. There is all kinds of rejection and all kinds of, of uh, uh, just turning from that and, and anger and wrath. And do you know where that originates? In the very pit of hell. And we're seeing it in our land as we've never, never seen before. The word of God is somehow put to the very perimeters of our society. And there are many, many people in our society who would say, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, we, we know something. He was a good man or something like that. Where in past generations, whether or not people responded to the gospel and subjected themselves to the truth of God, they knew the foundations of the word of God. And it had its effect on our society and on our culture. And I believe God has called upon us to stand in the midst of our culture and in the areas of our, our uh, influence, whether it be the church in the midst of the community, whether it be the believer out in the workforce or the student in the school or the housewife at home or in the workplace or wherever we are as Christians. There's a manifestation of the truth of God because we are there. The sad thing today is that I doubt very often that if there is any influence at all whatsoever in the church today, and I'm just not saying Calvary Bible Church, but the church of Jesus Christ today is weak and pathetic and lazy and not focused upon the greatness of our Lord. And so we come to a place like this, and our cry is, crown him the Lord of all. Crown him Lord of all. Oh Lord, I need you. I'm complete in you, oh Lord. And our scriptures, and our songs, and our worship all focuses on the kingdom of God and his greatness and his greatness manifested in his body upon this earth. <coughs> we are to be constrained by Christ. I want to just uh, touch upon some things this morning. I, 
I um, want to end with that 15th chapter because it just tells us right away, study, study. It's command, folks. How can I express my love and devotion to the Lord if I don't really know him very well? If I haven't been in communion with him? If I hadn't fed upon the very revelation of my Jesus in the word of God? (coughs) We talked, excuse me. (coughs) We've been talking about these metaphors that the apostle gives us. Wonderful example. First one was the soldier. As a Christian, our sole responsibility, our objective, our objective should be to follow wherever the Lord Jesus leads us. How often do we think about that? Once in a while when we hear those words? Or do we wake up in the morning with the, the excitement and saying, Lord, where are you going to lead me today where I can be effective in your life, in your world? No matter what it brings, no, most of us think about the work or the, the, uh, the game or the, the, the grade or the money. I was reading a book yesterday on counterculture. And the frustration of the author was that although we as the church find the truth of God, and the truth of God always reveals the Great Commission and the thoughts and the thrust of God in a, in a life transformed, there's going to be that motivation to love and to go. And then, of course, Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20, when the Lord himself tells us we are to go, go, go with the gospel, teaching others, baptizing, raising up a godly people to have a godly uh, influence in a godless society. And on and on he went with the different scriptures and, and, and he, his whole thought was, what is it if, if, if Christ constrains me by his love, then what stops me from going forth where there are people who have never, never heard and never responded to the gospel of life, eternal life. In the time it takes to preach a message like this, how many people in our great nation have fallen off the edge of life and have gone to Christless grave, gone to hell? What does it matter to us? Does it make any difference to you? I find most of the time I'm brought to repentance by my own lack of concern in the everyday affairs and everyday things of life because I get my mind on everything else. Rather than training myself through the discipline of the Word of God to live for Jesus Christ. What a heartbreak it must be for the King of Kings who hung on that tree and shed his blood on our behalf when we don't even remember him from day to day, from one thing to the next. 
people, we are in desperate need to cry out as, as we heard, Oh, Lord, use me, change me, get my focus on me. I need more of you, O Lord. What we need is to make him Lord of our lives marvelous words that were presented on that wall as that prelude was given today. I trust that it cut right to the core of your heart. Made you uncomfortable perhaps because you haven't one time given even a, a word of encouragement or a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus or the word of God that brings life everlasting to anybody around you in your area of influence. And Paul is talking to young Timothy, and Timothy is like I am, like you are. He needs to be urged every once in a while and reminded of the work that God has called him to be. And so the metaphors that he gives, Paul gives young Timothy, you be a soldier, a soldier, Be a soldier for Jesus Christ. Follow the Lord wherever he leads. And remember we talked about that motivation of love. Oh, how our love should abound for the Lord. We used the song, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Do you know what that does to me when I hear those words and say those words and meditate on those words? It brings me to the reality that I am failing most of the time in this whole idea of being motivated by the love of God. Charles Wesley knew what he was talking about when he penned that. Amazing love. And that should be the motivation of a Christian soldier. The next thing we saw in this whole idea of this noble ambition is the, uh, the lifestyle, Christian re lifestyle requires the discipline that is necessary of an athlete, an Olympian. When these people get ready to compete in the Olympics, they lay aside everything, oftentimes lay aside so much of their work, and they lay aside so much of the responsibilities in life and the joys and the pleasures of living because they want to be disciplined and they want to be ready when they're out there on that field. The discipline of an athlete. Paul says similarly, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And we've been given the rules, folks. How many of you read the book, the rule book this week? And here Paul supplies a different motivation. This motivation is a form of ambition, but it's a noble ambition. And every athlete uh, learns that he must deny himself certain things if he wants to win. He can't just do whatever he pleases. He can't just eat whatever he pleases. Remember we talked about that?
and he must make sure those things that are going into his body aren't bringing destruction which will disable him in the race. He disciplines himself for the competition ahead. God gave me a purpose. God gives you a purpose in your living. And we must learn that purpose through meditating upon his word and walking day by day with him and giving him that place in our lives that he is Lord of our lives. Lord Jesus wants us to say no to things that would cause us to lose our focus. Okay, think about it. What caused you to lose your focus on the Lord Jesus this week? Some of those things aren't bad in themselves, are they? However, they rob you. They rob that one who is in training. They rob the soldier who is not getting tangled up in the everyday things of life. They rob you of the focus on who is Lord of life and Lord of all. And if we are to carry out the mission that God has given us, and if we are going to wear a victor's crown one day, then we must learn the discipline of an athlete. We must compete to win. That's our noble ambition. The third of the metaphors there, and it's in verse 6. Paul tells us, he tells Timothy, that the Christian needs the diligence of a, fam, uh, of a farmer. Diligence. That sounds like a word my mother used to use. Be diligent. How many of us apply that idea, that concept of diligence in serving Jesus Christ these days? It has to do with this idea of the hard-working farmer. Look at verse 6. It says, The husbandman, the farmer that laboreth, must be, be first partaker. <clears throat> so that he can have his share. Listen to this in the, uh, the uh, New American Standard Version. I, I, I love that version of the Bible. I love that translation. Listen, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Hard-working. I don't know if any of you have been related to farmers or have been raised on a farm or in any way connected with something a little more than your little kitchen garden. Man, you ought to see how I fail at that. But when I was a boy, I was around people who made their living in farming. And they were some of the most hardworking people I've ever known. But they also were some of the most sensible people I've ever known. And when they were connected to the love of God through Jesus Christ, they were marvelous examples and witnesses of the Lord. And Paul desires that Timothy be a hard-working farmer. It's related to verse 15 as well, and this whole concept of studying. But the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. 
Now, I want you to understand that in verse 6, whether you have the King James text or anything else, that whole idea is upon that word hard-working. To some Christians, it's an alien concept, isn't it? Hard-working. We hardly know what that means. When I think of some of the missionaries I've read of and some of the early, earlier Christians and see what they woke up to do, they were awakened in the morning and their purpose was to serve God. And I tell you what, they went until the sun went down. Hard work. All too often today in our generation, too many Christians think that the Christian life, life is focused totally upon them. Do you not realize that God calls us to be selfless? We're to be like Jesus Christ. and We're to be growing more and more to be like Him. That means selfless. However, the church today is self-centered, focusing on themselves. It's all about what God can do for us, not what we can do for God. Where have we missed it? How have we come to this place? I want to tell you, I believe it's because we've taken the whole idea that when we know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we don't have to worry about him as Lord of life. The two are inseparable. He's our Savior and He's our Lord. And when He's our Lord, we put Him first. We focus upon Him. He brings about changes in our lives. It's not all about us. It's about what we may do in life to serve Him. It's not about spiritual entitlement Everything's about entitlement these days. But in spiritual circumstances and in, in spiritual truths, somehow they've, there's been this bent, this perversion, so that we somehow think that when we become saved, somehow we end up in that marvelous, sweet-smelling rose garden over there and we can just lay back and bask in the sunshine of God's love and His grace. And so all too often, people in the church today just think that they can just pray for a bigger house and a, uh, with a Mercedes in the garage and a life of ease devoid of any kind of, of, of problems at all. And the sad thing is so many preachers today are teaching this very thing, encouraging this kind of self-centered Christianity. It's not so, folks. And I believe that we are on the, on the very edge of discovering as a church that life can be very much a tough pathway in our lives and the struggle that God calls us to. Oh yes, we read today that He has given to us all these things that we need that we may have take part in the divine nature. He's equipped us, and that's what it's talking about. He equips us for the life that He gives, and in the suffering and the persecution and the difficulty of life, He supplies everything we need to make it through to sunset. But He doesn't promise a rose garden, doesn't He? Does He? 
And those who adopt this, this, this attitude of Christian entitlement have a very weak faith that is easily shattered. And maybe you've gone through some of that this week. All of us tend to that, you know. And when something hits us hard in life, our faith gets, gets shaken up and somewhat shattered. And somehow we think, oh, I became a Christian so God would bless me. God works for me. His job is to answer my prayers. That's why I come to prayer meeting. I will be a, a Christian only as long as it works for me. If the way gets tough, then I'm out of here. What kind of a mindset is that? You know, we look at that and we, we scorn that, don't we? We say, oh, isn't that terrible? And yet many of us live that way and we respond that way the first time God puts a test in our way or the first time life, because you know the storms of life as well as the blessings of nature touch everybody, the saved and the unsaved. And the important thing to remember is that the world we're, we're, we're in a sense on a stage before the world and the world looks at us when a crushing blow comes and they want to see how we respond. What's our faith really like? And that was brought home to me when I got this, this uh, email from, from Kent Bryan. Bryan. And I, and I realized, man, the man is facing possible death. Not just the disruption of his mission, But death. And yet his whole idea is that God meets him where he is, surrendered to his lordship, and he supplies and equips him for even the worst of it all. That's where we need to be, folks. Not in this idea of spiritual entitlement. As long as it works for me, I'm going to be one of those people that have a smile and a good word for everybody and a praise on Sunday morning to the Lord. But if it doesn't work, I'm out of here. You won't find that kind of Christianity in the Bible. That's why we need to stay connected to the Bible, folks. We need to let that word of God enter into our very lives and, and become part of our thinking and actions and responses. Salvation, yes, salvation is a free gift, but it is not a free ride, folks. Now that we've received that free gift of salvation, shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we be willing to demonstrate our gratitude by God by, by just serving Him, eagerly serving? It's a mindset, folks. It doesn't have to do whether my joints hurt or my, my, my head hurts or my back hurts or 
My financials are just all in an uproar. My children are in rebellion. I don't have enough food sometimes. I have to trust the Lord for it. There is no greater privilege than that of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying to young Timothy, working in partnership with Almighty God. He has given us a responsibility. We don't know those whom God is calling, but he expects that we go and faithfully share the good message of life. That's his way. We're not entitled. Christian life takes work. Studying the Bible takes work. I want to just share with you some ideas that Paul gives, I believe, here. There are motivations that God gives us in the word for maintaining our diligence in following Christ. Here's one. Listen, in the seventh verse, he says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. In other words, Paul is saying, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give thee insight into all this. That's a motivation for us to reflect upon what is coming through in God's Word. How can you reflect if you don't even open the book? How can you reflect on anything if you have no knowledge of what God is saying? Verse 7. And Paul is telling Timothy and he's telling you and he's telling me that we are to meditate upon his words, to think about the scriptures and how they apply to our lives, whether we're here at school, whether we're in the workplace, wherever we are, whether we're in the home. How does the word of God apply in the way I respond to anybody or the way I do my work, the diligence of my farming? The more we study and meditate in the truths of God's word, the better we understand our lives. The second motivation is this. He's talking about being diligent in following Christ, and it's this in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. The resurrection, our blessed hope, and Paul is saying to young Timothy that he is sustained through his ordeals by the thought of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Because Jesus became human, he became like us in his life and in his death, and because of that, we will be made like him in his resurrection. Do you realize that? Oh, we celebrate as the resurrection of Christ last Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. But there's a practical sense to it. It's because he was raised. I am raised as well. Eternal life, folks. And the resurrection of Jesus is, the, is that source that Paul, uh, is the source of Paul's hope for uh, the resurrection you know, Paul was in prison then, and he knew that it wasn't going to be long before he was beheaded and sent to the cemetery. 
but resurrection power shines brightest in a cemetery. Do you realize that? In death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. The third motivation is there in verses, the second part of eight. Jesus raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. What's the motivation for us to be like Christ, to make him Lord of our lives? The third motivation is being for being diligent in following Jesus Christ. This gospel, the good news, and I'm suffering, Paul says, I'm suffering even to the point of death, and I'm I'm suffering even to the point right now of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Isn't that a marvelous thought? They can do anything they want to my body. They can chain me up, but they cannot chain the word of God. So in my living, I ought to be living for the word of God. I ought to be diligent in my study of the word of God. And in that day, Nero could chain Paul and confine him in a dungeon cell, but he could not chain the gospel. He couldn't kill God's word. You know that even as Paul sat there in that dungeon, miserable in body, miserable, chained up, knowing he was going to die. But God's word was on the loose, folks. And it doesn't matter what's going on in our physical realm, in our bodies, as we serve the Lord and make him Lord of our lives. His word is on the loose. You say, I can't do anything but pray. Well, my goodness, God has made you a prayer warrior. His word is on the loose, being passed from person to person, spreading from city to city, being carried across seas and over mountains, permeating culture after culture. And that's what was happening in Paul's day. Is it happening today? Do you know that there are people who are giving their all right now in worlds where the word of God is disdained and they, they may be even losing their heads, and yet the Word of God is not chained, and it's permeating, somehow permeating societies and cultures. No matter what happened to Paul, no matter what happens to Bert Bosworth, God's Word is not chained, and it cannot, it will not be stopped. There's another motivation I want you to look at for being diligent and following Christ, and it's this. It's, it's uh, the 10th verse. Let me just give it to you in, in, uh, in this translation. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, too, may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with the, in eternal life. You know what that is? Paul is saying there are so many people that God is calling to himself. He is choosing. He is calling people. And he has given me 
the privilege to share the life-giving gospel message. And I will endure anything and everything for the sake of those who are coming to salvation and will stand with me one day in the presence of Almighty God. And Paul was willing to suffer in order that others might be saved. He was willing to endure deprivation. He was willing to receive anxiety that goes on, loneliness and boredom and all kinds of discomfort to his physical body because he knew that his suffering would produce blessings and salvation in the lives of others. We're no different than the Apostle Paul. No different. There are others who will come into the kingdom of God as God has so willed through our lives as we faithfully turn to him and make him Lord of our lives. If you remember from history in, in, in Germany, in the era of Hitler, a, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was martyred by Hitler in World War II. If, if, you, if, if, if you ever have an opportunity to read anything by this man or read some of his writings, he often points this out, and I love this concept. He says, God does not dispense cheap grace. He does not dispense cheap grace. Grace is free to all who receive it, but grace is costly to those who dispense it. Grace is made possible by suffering. And did you hear that? Grace is costly to those who dispense it. Are you willing to dispense the grace of God? The heroes of the faith, the ones we read about in the, the book of Hebrews, the ones we read about in the, in, the, in the writings of the prophets, the ones we read about in the world today who are going to their graves because of the gospel of Jesus Christ in countless numbers, martyrs in this day and age. It's costly grace. It's not cheap grace. It's costly to those who are dispensing the grace of God. The next time you open your Bible, would you remember the Bible comes to us soaked in the blood and the tears of men and women of generations past, folks. Didn't come to us easily. It came to us in flames. It came to us at the end of an axe. It came to us as heads rolled. It came to us as people suffered physically and were killed and martyred. God's people have been chained and tortured and burned at the stake so that we might have this book. And the Word of God is not chained and it's not dead. And we can be comforted to know that even in our suffering and because of our suffering for Jesus Christ, others, somebody else is going to be blessed. I believe that with all of my heart. 
And we need to respond and act like that. Now, the fifth and last thing I want to share is this. The fifth and final motivation for being diligent in following the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is verses 11 through 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we shall live with him. That's motivation. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That's a, that's a motivation. If we disown him, he will disown us. That doesn't mean hell. It means cut off from that fellowship and the marvelous fellowship and walking with our Christ. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. I believe that Paul is saying when you stumble and fall on your face, he is faithful and just and will lift you up again. For he cannot disown himself. Are you in Christ? You are his. I want you to, to look at that last verse Study to show thyself, look at it, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's important that we understand this as we tie this whole thought up. Study to show thyself. That's diligence, folks. That's the diligence of a hardworking farmer digging in soil that has been cursed and yet seeing God producing because of the faithfulness of the farmer. Study to show thyself approved unto God. You know how we are approved unto God? We get into his word and we let his word get into us. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And then look at this, rightly dividing the word of God truth. And that word, rightly dividing, it's a couple of words, but it's one word originally, and it's to cut a straight line. Rightly handling the word of God, to cut straight. And the reason I think this is important, remember who was the tent maker in those days? It was Paul. And he was talking to young Timothy, who would have understood this from this, Rightly dividing. Now, if in the Greek it came across to cut that, cut that straight, he would understand that because he had seen Paul cut that material and, and be able to put those seams together and make a worthwhile tent. Cut it straight so that it fits. Cut it straight so it won't leak. Cut it straight so that it does its job. Those seams must be cut straight to fit together the right way. Study. That's, that's hard work. It's diligence of a farmer. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Cut it straight so that when the seams are sewn together, it is the very truth of God. How often have you heard God's word and it's not put together right, folks? And what happens? It becomes perverted. Perversion is a bad word, whether it has to do with our society today and what mankind is doing, or whether it is with believers 
handling the Word of God. We can mishandle the Word of God and there's perversion. But he's telling young Timothy, you make sure it's cut, cut straight so that the truth is God's truth. It's the truth, the very truth of God. That takes work. It takes diligent work. But do you know what? We are constrained by Christ. Constrained by Christ. We're going to sing that last stanza in closing. And, but before we do, let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you that you've placed us in front of a watching creation. The whole universe is observing and waiting to see if our faith is genuine. Will we stand or fall? Oh, Father, we recognize that the answer depends on whether we've truly received the grace of Jesus Christ. If we dedicate ourselves like soldiers, if we become disciplined like athletes, and if we're diligent, hardworking like the farmer. Oh, Lord, your word of promise is that we will experience victory and the abundant harvest to the glory of God. Oh, Lord, you've called us to this. May we make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives that his glory may be seen in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? I want us to sing that last stanza. For him I count my life no longer mine. Did you hear that? Are you willing to say it? Don't say it unless you mean it. For him I count my life no longer mine. In his great work a higher call I find to lose myself and find my all in Christ. I follow on and gladly pay his price.